Well, hello there, and thanks for finding us. I'd like to welcome you today to the Recycler Secret Podcast. Regardless if this is your first time or if you've been here since the beginning, it's my pleasure to engage your earballs, not your eyeballs. This podcast is an open and candid interview with an industry professional who specializes in recycling or a subset of materials management. During our time together, I hope to dive deep into the person, their organization, and most importantly, how to duplicate their success, which I broadly call the magic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again for another episode of Recycler's Secrets. Today, we have with us the lovely and talented Crystal Young, Director of Business Opportunity and Career at West Shore Community College. She's been here for the last four years and bridges the connections between the community college and the stakeholders, does a ton of trainings, workshops, enrichments, career placement, and other events facilitated around the college and the community. Today, we're going to have an opportunity to talk with her about a a recent presentation that she's put on at a state-level recycling conference uh, talking about generational communications, and there was a lot of call-out for that as a digital format. And so we wanted to talk about that on kind of a high level and, and give the good stuff. So before we really tie into it, uh, a couple things you need to know about Crystal. She is a bulldog, go Ferris. Go Ferris. And also besides being a beautiful and well-rounded person, she's also a yoga instructor. Namaste. Oh, namaste, yes. Yeah, so awesome. Crystal, take a moment. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and something we might never know otherwise. Ooh, that's a tough one. Well, what about uh, namaste? Do you know what that means? We close out every yoga session with namaste because in Sanskrit, it means the light, the love, the divine in me honors the light, the love in you. So it's just recognizing that light in each person. And I think, um, you know, what people might not know about me, I have two Rottweilers at home. I live in the woods. Um, I love animals. I love people in general. I just have a passion for people. Um, And it's centered around the fact that we all have a light, we all have a skill, we all have a talent. And what does each of us individually bring to this world? Right. That's fantastic. The light in me recognizes the light in you. Mm -hmm. So Crystal, you have done a ton of training and conversation about generational communication. And we're going to talk about that today. And so let's kind of start with what are the the five different generations? Sure. So there are currently five generations in the workplace. Um, we have the traditionalists, the seniors, the greatest generation, those born between, ni- or excuse me, before 1945. Um, and for those of you that have someone in your life that was born before then, continue to reach out to them, uh, hear their stories, listen to the way they speak because that, you know, is slowly but surely going away. Uh, We have the baby boomers uh, born in 46 um, to 47, as well as a second cohort born between 1958 and 1964. And then Gen X, 65 to about 81, millennials, the big Gen Y generation that we're always talking about, uh, 81 to about 95, some even say up to 2000. And then the Linksters are uh, Gen Z generation, which is after, you know, the late 90s till now. And uh, full disclosure, I am technically a millennial here. Uh, and the reason that this kind of fell into my lap is when I, I first moved back to Western Michigan. I'm originally from here, born and raised. And when I graduated from Ferris, I got my dream job out on the East Coast. I resided in Burlington, Vermont, and I consider that uh, where I grew up, right? Because between age 21 and 30, that's when you really grow up. 
And um, when I came back in 2013, there was all this conversation about Gen Y. We don't know what to do about Gen Y. They're horrible. They're entitled. They don't work. And I just kind of fell into this this needing to help people figure out how to deal with this quote-unquote problem. And so, so much of it result, like revolves around communication, right? And we're just, we're just all different. And we all have different experiences from not only when we were born, but the things that happened to us while we were in our most formative times. Um, so there's a cohort experience, and then there's the lifestyle um, experience. And so there's so many factors that play into it. But I'm sure as we continue on with our conversation, some of those will come out. And those who are listening will be like, oh, my goodness, I totally see that. Absolutely. So a lot of people identify these five generations by age and by geographical birth. But there's some cross-gapping as well. I mean, you can see you know, people who are part of the Gen X that act more like a boomer, and you can see people who are more millennial, you know, act more like a Gen Xer. And even farther than that, you can have a linkster that's like, wow, you are a 19-year-old that acts like you're 60. Right. It's the not, old yeah. soul philosophy. Absolutely, yeah. And um, as each of these generations, you know, comes into the next phase of their their lives or, you know, of the world we're experiencing, some of those things come out differently than we might not anticipate. Right, Absolutely. So how, how do you identify these folks, you know, beyond just the demographic of, of when they were born? How, how do you identify them? When you're looking at a group, how do you really pull it out? Well, you know, there's the birth cohort, like you mentioned, but there's also the life cohort. So what happened during that particular time period that formulated this group or this individual's outlook on life, as well as, you know, along with their age, what is their lifestyle? And one we don't talk about enough is what were the uh, social and economic conditions of that group. So I had a little fun quiz someone gave to me at a recent conference. And it was, what were you doing in high school? So what was your favorite music? What were your values? So your values in regards to work, into sexual behavior, into drugs, and to dress. And if you ask each group across from this, it's fascinating and so telling. How do you refer to your teachers? What did you do after school? How did you stay in touch with your friends? What was the political climate? What were your career goals? You know, job outlook, technology of the day, all that stuff, even just asking those basic little questions, you get so much information. You think, you know, this baby boomer, uh, it was a female that was giving the presentation that brought about this quiz. And she's like, you think about it, the only thing that baby boomers had to worry about when we were growing up was uh, in terms of sexual behavior was not getting pregnant right and you think of what goes on today whoa and you think of gen xers you know the um aids epidemic and hiv like there's so many things there you know what did you do after school did you do sports birth control wasn't legal till 1964 title IX didn't pass until 1972 and so so many things that were so incredibly formative of the boomers and the Gen Xers, some of the later millennials and Gen Zs are like, what are you talking about? Right. So that ties back to their their traits and their beliefs and their general actions, right? Absolutely. It completely influences their outlook. So then you put all these individuals in an office together and it's like chaos completely erupts. So let's, while we're talking about office, let's talk a little bit about workplace diversity. I mean, you have a a portion of your presentation or your conversation that you have on a regular basis about that diversity. And like you said, when you put 
these five different age brackets in an office, the dynamic is unique. It is unique. And if you can find a way to work, make it work with all you know, in the circle functioning, it's magical because you want diversity. So often, you know, especially those in customer service, they find I resonate most with people like me. And that's completely human nature, right? Like I, of course, I'm going to get along with a fellow yoga instructor and someone who likes to hike and likes organic food, right? Those who love recycling and care about the earth are going to find people like them. But when you have a workplace and you're working towards a common goal, you want that diversity. You want those different perspectives because that allows you to then make a better product, whether that product is something tangible or intangible. We're all on this planet together and we need to figure it out. And unfortunately, in life, we don't encounter everyone who's just like us. So in today's world, we in the corporate world have a lot of training on how to deal with the millennials and the linksters, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, corporations that bring their senior level management together and they say, hey, you've got to learn how to talk to a millennial. And and they're not not the way that you're used to talking. You can't come into it and be like, Jimmy, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. Because Jimmy doesn't respond to that. But what I don't see is a communication structure where we're talking to millennials and linksters saying, hey, you got to figure out how you're going to talk to your boomer bosses. Right. So there's an expectation on the hierarchy that as a senior manager or an owner of an organization that you have to learn how to deal with this generation, but there's not the reverse model doesn't exist, or, or have you seen that somewhere? Right. That's a, a really interesting question, and I want to come back to it. I want to set the stage here on a couple other things. So you mentioned okay. you mentioned the nine. Um, I don't know if you mentioned the nine shift. Yep, we so haven't talked about that yet, but go ahead. There is a futurist named William Draves um, and his partner Julie Coates that produced this book called The Nine Shift. And in it, they spell out that everything that's happening right now in the workforce happened exactly the same way 100 years ago. So right now, if we're looking right now at the um, women's movement, you know, men not necessarily, young men not necessarily in college, the chaos in um, the workforce, you know, the lack of workforce, chaos in government and policy, all of that was happening 100 years ago. And so we are not only dealing with that, right? Like with the world right now, you, I always in these presentations the past, you know, two years have said, anyone feeling like things are a little bit unsettled? Every single person in the room raises their hand. Right. And it happens even more so now because we are at the pinnacle. Like we are at the pinnacle of this pendulum swing combined with the fact that each generation is in power for a certain period of time, typically about 40 years. And the baby boomer generation is on the downswing. They are losing their power. And I assume every generation holds on to that power as tight as possible, right? Again, we go back to that human nature. We don't want to give up the power. I have control. When I say something, I got someone else to do it. I'm not giving that up. Oh, by the way, I have my social security and my pension. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, hang out here for a couple more years just to be sure. While the other generations view this and they're like, we're not going to have any of those things even if we make all the same decisions. So there's, there's a little bit of chaos and conflict brewing there. On top of the fact you have technology compounding that gap. So the nine shift exiting, you know, the industrial age, entering the knowledge or digital age. And 100 years ago families, you know, living on the family farm. We exited the agricultural age, entered the industrial age. People left the family farm to work in manufacturing jobs. So we're in the midst of this multiple shifts happening at once. And 
it was four or five years ago where it's like these young people need to learn how to respect and listen to their elders. When in fact, these same elders at home would answer all the why questions and would engage their children, which were Gen Y. And so when Gen Y enters the workforce and sees like, I think I can do this a better way, they don't go through the hierarchy. They just go right into the CEO's office and say, hey, I got this idea. And the CEO's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the way we've always done it. And by the way, there's a process here. And so it's, um, you know, I love the idea of it being, you know, going back and forth. But the door has not always been open by the generation in power to even allow that back and forth. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we engage? And you sitting here at West Shore Community College probably have a different look at it than a lot of people do. And, you know, we, we've had this conversation, you know, across multiple institutions of how do we engage that younger workforce to understand there's a hierarchy of communication that they were not brought up on? I think the question I would ask is, does that hierarchy actually serve a purpose? Right. Because that's the thing. I think, um, you know, these incoming generations have been taught, like, there's the instant gratification piece that everyone looks at. Oh, it's instant gratification. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Like, that's the way we've grown up. But we look at that, how can we get to the end result the quickest way possible? And the baby boomers have always been about process. The end outcome doesn't matter, but we need to follow that process. I myself have dealt with several baby boomers who admit like, I know I'm a baby boomer, but I need to have a meeting about the meeting we're going to have. And bless them for being honest. It drives me crazy where it's like, why? Like there's that why. And so If there is a reason for that hierarchy, if there's a higher purpose, Gen Y and Gen Z will fall in line. But if there's no purpose other than that's just the process we've always done, it needs to die. Right. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that, you know, as we look through the generations, I mean, because of the information age that we're in and because of the technology shift that we've done in the last 10 years, you know, I like to convert it back to the, the old bar story. You used to be able to go into a bar and tell a lie, and no one would fact check you because you're in a bar. <laughs> and you could tell the story however you wanted to tell the story. Internet confirmation bias. Absolutely. Yep. And now you're sitting in a bar, and you're telling a story, and the guy's sitting across the other side of the bar from you listening to your story, and you get done, and he's like, bullshit. Yep. Yep. Bullshit. I just Googled it, and you're lying <laughs> to me. You never went to ABC College. Right. And you're like, who in the hell are you, and why are you listening to my story? Yep. So... And that, you know, that change of it, I think, is part of the, the solution. I mean, in today's world, you say, hey, I got a problem. All right, Google, YouTube. You know, I, I joke with Absolutely. one of my kids at one point in time, he cut himself on a camping trip and he sewed it up. Yeah. I was like, oh, how do you know how to do that? He's yeah. like, YouTube. Yeah. My husband goes on forums and YouTube all the time to fix uh, random things wrong with vehicles, engines, motorcycles. Right. And he figures it out. I'm like, I'm impressed. He's like, YouTube, hello. Yeah. It <laughs> shows you exactly how to do it. So that, that technology is part of that nine shift, right? Because, yes. you know, now we have the ability to work anywhere we want in the world and accomplish the same things, right? Absolutely. So talk to that. And I think, um, you know, the, ba- the traditionalist generation, the greatest generation, you think that one in five, like one in two, so 50% were immigrants, 50% were in the military. Right. Um, just, you know, incredible stories as to how these individuals built their lives. And it was, they, ha- they found success when they had a roof over their head 
and dinner was on the table every night. Their family was fed and cared for. That's all that mattered. And, you know, the economic um, implications at that time, they were able then to pass on, you know, the boom, right? After World, you know, World War II, you imagine living in Detroit in, you know, the early 40s. Anything was possible, right? And the baby boomers saw extreme success when they had starting off with minimal expectations. Like, I'm going to have a roof over my head and I'm going to get food on the table. Well, pretty soon it's like, oh, I work hard and I get this return and I'm going to get the three-bedroom house with the two-car garage. Oh, my goodness, we have two cars. And so it was like this process where they worked hard, but they went to work. They went to their office. They got up in the morning. Be the early bird gets the worm, right? So yep. before eight o'clock, and they, you know, they looked like they were working really, really hard if they stayed after five. The person who was there the longest hours was the hardest worker by far. And then when they were done, they went home. And nowadays with our connectivity, you know, Gen Xers and millennials, and, you know, a lot of the boomers have adapted as well, almost to the point where it's like they're working 24-7 because they work at the office and they feel they have to be connected. Um, but the Gen Xers and the millennials and the Gen Zs are like, so why does it matter if we have to be in an office? Like, if I get my work done, does it, I don't understand. And so you've seen this change, and it's going to happen even more in the next couple of years, where you have the intranet, the online offices versus the office space in the internet. And, uh, you know, you'll, we're going to see a lot more of that. And I think people are going to have a lot more fun. Because right now, it, it, like I said, you have this mentality of the baby boomers that you have to work minimum 40 hours a week, but it might, you know, wink and a nod, you should be working 50 if, you know, 50 is like 40 type of thing. And so you see people getting burned out. And with all this technology aiming at us, I think I heard a stat and I, I hope I'm getting this right. It's like 54,000 words or 240 pages of data that we're scanning every day, just playing on our phones or on our computers. And so people like our brains are not wired to do that. We are overwhelmed, we are anxious, we are depressed as a whole right now. It's not just a particular area of our you know, state or country. And until that, that full shift happens where people can go back to finding that work-life balance with technology, it's going to be a struggle. And you see it in our, young, you know, in our mental health, um, especially with young people. We, you know, here at the college, you see an, an increase in mental health issues. And it's not just our college, it's across all institutions. Right. So you, you said something there about the 24-7 workspace. And that's something that, you know, let's, let's break off a second and talk about that. There is an expectation amongst the younger generations that if they text you, they want a response. They want that instant gratification. And so there's this constant conversation of work-life balance. But in the same token, if they get an idea at 930 at night, like, oh, geez, Mr. Bob, I can really fix this. Let me tell you how to do it. It's 930 at night. And if you don't reply to 730 in the morning, they're irate. They're like, what, you didn't like my idea? I wasn't good enough for you? And so yeah. th there's, this, there's this constant struggle, as you said, this work-life balance struggle. But technology seems to impede that a lot. I had a conversation the other day where it's like, is text replacing email? And the text language. So... Um, you know, I heard this story where, you know, this 19-year-old came to her supervisor and was like, hey, I think Emily's mad at me. And the supervisor was like, okay, why? Well, you know, she sent me this email, and I just, I just get the drift. She's upset. And so supervisor read the email, and she's like, uh, I don't understand. 
And the 19-year-old's like, well, she used periods. So actually putting in punctuation and being grammatically correct was so formal versus text language that she thought that this person was upset with her. So what you're saying, too, is like you have that texting at all hours of the night, and is that an official work communication? And that is something I think it's um, between manager and subordinate. Like those boundaries have to be created, Um, especially, too, if it's all text and then is there not an email? Because then how do you go back, like, unquote, unquote, a trail, right? Right. What's formal, what's not? Uh, So I think that's going to be flushed out a lot in the next year or two as well. Because I know me personally, there are some people I know it's easier for me to text them rather than to email because the email might get lost or they'll just ignore it. Um, But if I text them, I'll get a response right away. Funny story there. Uh, I have a family member, may or may not be my wife, (laughs) that when she, she works in the accounting department of a corporation, and because she works in the accounting department, she likes the chain, right? She likes the trail. Mm-hmm. And so if you leave my wife a voicemail, she will not reply to that voicemail. She doesn't answer them. She doesn't check them. And they just go wow. into a funnel, and once a month, she goes and deletes them all. And, and her philosophy is, I'm in the accounting world. If you want to know something from me in the accounting world, you'll send me an email. Because that's how mm-hmm. I correspond with people. I don't talk to you on the phone. Right. If you can't walk down and physically see me because you're in the same building, then you need to send me an email. Well, I wonder, too, I mean, what generation does your wife fall into? Is she a Gen Xer? No, she'd be a millennial. Millennial. She's a, you know, no, that, no, you're right. She's Gen Xer. Sorry. But Gen Xers, um, typically, they love technology. And that, you know, that might be text, that might be email, but she set her boundaries there. Right. Boomers love the face-to-face. But you find some people now, everyone's going to face-to-face because you can accomplish so much more rather than shooting 20 emails back and forth, right? Like, you get to the point where you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm just going to walk down the hall and have a conversation with this person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, oh, look, there's 15 people on this email. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Two of them need to be here, and oh, the rest of them are just... Oh, you you have those people yeah, in the office where you're like, I'm going to copy in everyone right. just yeah. to be safe, and you're just yeah. like, oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, who's this guy? Where did he start working for the company? Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about this this data overload that we're getting, the, the 54,000 words, the 240 pages a day. Let's talk about that for just a smidgen. Um, between that and the constant blue screen technology that mm-hmm. we're involved to, mm-hmm. it's changing our brains. It is. It is. One of the reasons I love yoga is in meditation is it it keeps your, you know, frontal, it stimulates neurons that are dormant and creates, you know, connections and links that maybe aren't connected. Um, but you find some people, when they've been on their screen for so long, um, not only does it affect your sleepy cycles, it can affect your eating habits, but also even the way you converse. I know my husband is very, very sensitive to those things, and he, he can tell if I've been on my phone too much. He'll be like, you're, you're talking different. You're doing that thing again. And I'm like, dang it. He's so right. Um, but uh, it's just being aware of that. And I think um, it'll be interesting to see with some of these younger generations that were born with a screen in their hands, um, how their brains are going to operate differently than ours. And so it's just, it's just one of those things of just being cautious, but also put the phone down and live your life. You see those people, and I'm so grateful that the iPhone wasn't huge when I was in college because you see people on a college campus and everyone's got their earbuds in and they're looking at their screens. And I kind of want to trip them and be like, hi, welcome to the world. You're here. The sun is shining. You could be walking by someone that would change your life. But you're not making eye contact with that person because you're seeing 
you know, whatever's on, whatever you need from your screen. Funny cat videos. That's what I'm always looking at. I, these are great. <laughs> can't go wrong. So let's, let's pull back to career path. We talked about that for just a minute. Mm-hmm. So boomers had a definite, boomers in the mature generation had this definite expectation towards career path. And, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll put in the hours, we'll do the work, we'll get the promotions. And they almost we'll, have guaranteed success. Yep, we'll mm-hmm. almost have guaranteed success. We're going to be with a company for 20 years, yeah. right? Yep. And in today's world that we're in today, the generation that's coming up, has a life expectancy. I think the last number I heard was three years at a company, tops. Yep. yep. Um, you know, the average is like two and a quarter mm-hmm. um, before they're transitioning jobs. And, and some of that is that instant gratification, I would guess. Yes. They're going, well, I've fixed everything I can fix here, so it's time for me to go do something else. Not being challenged enough. Right, not being challenged enough, mm-hmm. not uh, not having that information put in front of them. So talk about the, the career path as you see it today and how we can engage in these up-and-coming generations to get them going, for a lack of a better word, down the right path. But, you know, what really is that right path? Right. Well, first of all, if you um, if you have baby boomers at your company, we'll go down the line. Traditionalists, you know, there's only – there's less than 2% of them still in the workforce. Um, but boomers, who 10,000 of them are retiring every day – um, if they are still working with your company, encourage them to be mentors to your incoming company. So we talked a little bit about that hierarchy. If maybe, you know, when you have two different um, individuals engaged, there's that opportunity that, one, they can um, – there's that morale boost where it's like, oh, what I'm doing is important and I'm going to impart this knowledge, you know, before I, I leave. But also maybe a relationship's created where they can better see where that individual is coming from. Gen Xers want career security, and they just honestly want to be left alone. Let them do their job. Don't micromanage them, um, but make sure they have that career security and they have that career path in your company. Because if they don't have that in your company, they'll probably take a similar job at another company where they see a little bit more opportunity and maybe have a little bit more freedom. Gen Y, you know, we go back to that entitlement piece, that participation award, well, baby boomers, you're the ones who felt sad, like I didn't get a ribbon on track and field day in fourth grade. So we're going to have a ribbon for everyone just for participating. And so it's like, we talk about this, you guys created the monster, right? And so this millennial group was like told all along, I am special. Just wait till the world sees what I can do. I'm just going to skyrocket to the top, coupled with the fact that we have social media. And, uh, I mean, I say this all the time, how many of you are grateful you did not have Facebook, Snapchat, or Instagram when you were in high school and college? I mean, there's, there's so many things there. Uh, but not everyone, I mean, come on, not everyone's truthful on that, right? Like, we're going to make out like we're better, you know, off financially, emotionally, like life is good, sunshine and rainbows, the puking unicorn that I have on the slide. Like, woohoo, I'm special and I'm going to be great. When in reality... Everyone has to work hard, and everyone starts at the bottom at some point. But this generation, I mean, they have YouTube stars and Insta billionaires overnight. So on top of the fact that they have a network that's posting, like, life is great, when in reality they're all at this similar level, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so they go out into the world, and their expectations aren't meeting the reality, where it was the inverse, for baby boomers, their expectations were far exceeded, or their, excuse me, the reality far exceeded their expectations. 
And so there's like this weird dynamic where you have baby boomer mom or dad being like, you're going to be great. And they go out there and life is hard. <laughs> right? And they oh, yeah. have, millennials now have, we, we call it the quarter life crisis. Right. Oh, by the way, the f- um, age of maturity nowadays is between 30 and 31. So at, if you have a kid, uh, by the time they're 30 or 31, maybe they'll be out of your house and paying their own bills. Like that is the sign of actual maturity. And, and we did that as a society. I mean, we made it so, you know, one of the classifications that I always call maturity is when you get your own job, when you get your own insurance, when you start carrying your own life. And we as a society said, well, you know, your kids can be on your insurance till they're 26 now. Yep. And so the kids are like, well, what do you mean I can't be on your insurance? The law says I can be there until I'm 26. Right. And so now you're looking at this and you're, you're going, um, uh, you joined a trade. You didn't go to college. You got a job. Mm-hmm. Why are you still on my insurance? Why are you still living in my basement? Get out. Right. You know, or and, even the ones who went to college and have six figures worth of debt in a job that's paying minimum wage. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's just, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's chaos. It's chaos. And that's one thing I think um, – in the, the next few years, it, it'll be interesting to see how um, college debt and colleges actually educate. Education is really going to change in the next five to ten years. That's part of the reason I'm at a community college. For the record, I'm not an academic at all. Like, I come from the business world, and uh, it's fascinating to see how academia hasn't changed over the past hundred years, whereas manufacturing, um, the medical world, healthcare, all that stuff has. So education is going to change a lot in the next few years. And I want to be on the front lines to offer a product that people will actually need and use, right? That's efficient Mm -hmm. and effective. Absolutely. That was a little sidebar there. So tying back into that career path, how do we, how do we as the older generation make the millennials and the linksters feel like they're moving up their own ladder? Or, and what does their ladder look like? Uh, so you have to explain the ladder and manage all expectations. So they're coming in thinking they're going to get the unicorn, right? And it, it's just a commu- it's just communication. Like, there are the kids when they were little, why, why, why? And mom and dad answered them. So then they get in the workplace and they're asking the questions and the boss is like, oh my goodness, because I said so. But you need to have those conversations. Um, they need to be uh, highly engaged and challenged. So you think like, I've given them this much to do for the day. They should be fine. Give them four or five times as much. If they don't get it done fine, give them everything you got and challenge them. And also uh, think about the fact that they were the uh, generation that was born into helicopter parenting. Um, for those listeners who don't know what that is, that's literally the parent acting like a helicopter over their kid from you know, day one. Uh, so they're in structured activities, play dates, you know, they, even though they might not hang out or like mom and dad of their, you know, child's friend, they're there hanging out, watching their kids play in the sandbox. So they, by they, I mean, millennials have been so ingrained for the team environment and everyone is equals. So if they're sitting next to the CEO and maybe a stakeholder or something, you know, someone of that caliber where, you know, a boomer or Gen X would be like, oh, I need to be on my best behavior. They'll be acting completely normal and challenging the individual next to them as to a process or asking the why, where, you know, everyone else is like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they just said that. But that's natural to them Mm because that's what they grew up in. So putting them in those team environments and managing expectations, two biggest things. Okay. So 
when we talk about managing expectations, it really sounds like, from what I just heard you say, how do we stack the deck for them so that they have enough work that exceeds their capabilities because otherwise they're going to feel bored? Mm -hmm. How do we give them work that's challenging enough that they don't feel like they're being wasted as a resource? Yeah. And then at the end of the day, how do we make sure that we put them in, in opportunities where they can have conversations with folks that they feel like they're providing value? What do you think the answer is to those questions? No, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I that's what I took away from oh, what yes. you just said. Yep. That that's kind of the path. All of those. Yes. Right. Along with being flexible and having a fun environment. Right. Yeah. If I don't have a ping pong table, we're not having an office space. Beer cart, three o'clock on Fridays. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and that's really hard for, for corporate America to do. Um, because some of those things they've tried in the past and some of those things have liability risks behind them where if you're, you know, Johnny the Tech Company, you can do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you can have beer cart Thursdays and you can mm-hmm. have this, you know, holistic office space with this fun, cool vibe. Right. You can't do that at IBM. You right. know, you can't do that at, you know, Delta Airlines. Right. Um, you know, some of those organizations don't allow it. And so when you put this younger generation, because we have these jobs that have to be filled on a day-to-day basis, these customer service jobs, these Mm -hmm. nine-to-five jobs, Mm -hmm. how do we get that generation to embrace, you know, I understand the the work-life balance in the remote workplace, but how do you get that that generation to embrace, you have to report somewhere and you have to be in your desk because we need a certain number of customer service agents in order to make this facility run, or we need a, a certain number of manufacturing people here in order to make this production plant run. So if you step into the millennial or maybe the Gen Z's eyes, mm-hmm. you think they, they lived through the recession, like the Great Recession of 2009. So my parents or grandparents have worked at XYZ company for 35 years, and all of a sudden they're a number and they're gone. Right. We don't have health care. The house might be underwater. Cars repoed. They went through all that. So you look through their eyes. They look around, and they're like, I am not. Like, I, looking at this landscape, why would I work for quote unquote the man when there's no, like there's no longer a path for a livable lifestyle? Like the American dream was to be able to have the roof over your head, have a vehicle and take your, ki- your family on vacation once or twice a year and send your kids to college. Doing all that, like doing all the right things that y- our parents did, so to speak, we don't have that same opportunity. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, Healthcare, um, housing, and education was around 50% of the average income or medium, median wage. In today's day and age, it's not over 75%. Right. So they look out at the world, and quite frankly, right now, it looks a little bleak. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they hear, you know, the baby boomer that's in front of them like, oh, you know, I, I don't have to work. My retirement's set, but things here are just so great. I'm just going to stay for another day or two or another year or two. And they're like, uh, what, what, why am I here? So you need to have leadership that shows them the higher purpose as to what they're doing. I give an example of a manufacturing plant that was not a cheery place. I know manufacturing right now is amazing. You can eat off many of the plant's floors. It's high tech. There's great things happening. But this plant made lights for emergency vehicles. And you literally had people on a line where it's like, take this red wire, take this green wire, tie it in a knot. Boom. Red wire, green wire, not. Boom. Repeat, repeat, repeat. 
And the CEO, every time there was uh, an accident or something in the paper, would print it off or grab the newspaper and walk around to each and every person and say, see, we're saving lives here. Like, that's what we do. And so you need leadership that really inspires these young people to the higher purpose of what they do. And we can tie that into into green companies. Like, young people, especially Gen Y and Gen Z, will pay more money for products that are produced sustainably or in green packaging. Um, They will work for companies, even if they're getting paid zilch, that have a higher purpose for the good of the world. So let's go down that green path a second since we opened that door. How do each of these generations respond to how recycling is evolving around them in the world and and how the access is is their form and whether or not they're doing it or they're not doing it? What's that kind of look like? I know know you've spent a little time talking through those and Mm -hmm. would like to kind of go down that road if you'd like. Absolutely. So um, the baby boomers, you know, now a lot of them have – you know, there's just one or two people in the household. So they buy a lot of stuff in much smaller packages. Therefore, their waste is a lot of packaging. Uh, and a lot of them do live in more urban or suburban environments. So they are, you know, diligent about rinsing off the packaging and putting it in the recycling bin. Um, they are more likely to recycle than not um, due to the time and infrastructure they have. So they have the time right now. A lot of them are retired. And if that blue bin is right there, why not? They're going to do it. Uh, they also are very energy conscious. So they love energy efficient pl- appliances. They don't shower as often, whatever. They don't need to. But it's also the thing where, um, I mean, I grew up in a household where it's like you left the room, you turn the lights off. And now it's funny because in my household, my husband's like, we were told that all the time. So we leave lamps on all over the house. I try to stop that, but you know what I mean. (laughs) So boomers are very diligent recyclers. I would say um, from the research I've done, over half are absolutely open to it. The one that surprised me, and I always get some gasps on this, is uh, Gen X are not recyclers. They are incredibly, um, as a whole, mind you, this is just as a generalization, um, they're very ambivalent about it. Kind of like, eh, whatever. Why do you think that is? It needs to be. It needs to be easy. But even in the places where it's easy, there's just that ambivalence, and I, I haven't quite pegged it yet. And the story I tell is, I have two sisters that live in very suburban areas: Charlotte, North Carolina, and Phoenix, Arizona. So they have a recycling bin that's as big, if not bigger, than their garbage bin. And whenever I visit them, I'll see them put stuff in the trash, and I'll be like, what are you doing? And I'll dig it out, and I'll be like, this, this can be recycled. And they're like, oh, that's just, you know, too much work. I'm like, it's 10 feet to your garage. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not – I'm struggling with this because I live in the country and have to hoard recycling to take into my mother in town. Uh, so I think it's just one of those things where it wasn't important when they were growing up either. You think, you know, that between 65 and 81 – I mean, we're still on riding that wave of, you know, the baby boom and recycling and the environmental disasters really weren't front and center as they have been for the millennial generation. You think like Hurricane Katrina and, you know, different tsunamis and crazy environmental catastrophes have just been a part of the fabric of our lives. So you find that these younger generations are absolutely environmentally conscious because of all they've been fed at a younger younger age. 
So my recommendation to get Gen Xers on board, get their kids involved. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that brings us to the millennials. Yeah. You know, um, as I mentioned before, millennials, the infrastructure has to be there. So a lot of them are living in urban areas. If you have to pay more to recycle, some of them might not just because of a lack of finances. Uh, but if they're in an urban area, the blue bin's there, they're absolutely going to do it. They won't have as much packaging that necessarily needs to be recycled because they will pay more money for the green packaging or that compostable, you know, packaging or the up use. I really think that's where the trend's going to be. Those of you who are listening who are in the packaging world is to be able to customize the second use of that box or of whatever that comes in. And it's the same thing for Gen Z. I'll be really curious too if there's any laws that will go into effect because you look at you know, Amazon, yeah, is the instant gratification. But if you order something off of there that doesn't necessarily need packaging and you have a box within a box with, you know, plastic and styrofoam around it, it's it's kind of disgusting, actually. When you pull that open, you're like, look at all this waste when I ordered a bag of rice. Pretty sure that's not, that doesn't need all of that around it to protect it. Well, but that gets back to, you know, society, we have we've built that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at almost all of the grocery store chains now have either an express pickup or a shopping service tied to it. You can order from 15 different websites and get stuff delivered directly to your door. You don't need to go buy your dog food anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole service and, and group right around that. Yep. And all of those come with packaging. Right. And as a society we have more packaging today than we've ever had before. Mm -hmm. And I tell the story quite a bit that when I do public school education, which I do a a significant amount of, when I go into a school for the first time and they want to talk about a recycling program, I always say, and what do you want to recycle? And they go, straws. (laughs) A, you can't recycle straws. And B, why don't you replace them with paper straws? Right. Go back to the way it was when I was in school. Right. And the second one always my favorite is, is, well, we have too many water bottles in the school. Well, where do they come from? Well, that water bottle machine right over there. Well, take the water bottle machine out. Right. Give everyone a bottle at the beginning of the school year. Yep. Reach out to your local college and yeah. say, hey, we want a bottle with your logo on it for our middle and high school kids every year. Done. And they'll be like, yep, yep. here you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they'll give you 500 water bottles to start the school year with. No worries, no problems. And so how, yeah, how is it we change that mentality of like, instead of after the fact, let's deal with this. Right. How do we prevent it? How do we prevent more microplastics from going into the air, the soil, our water? It, it's it's looking at that prevention method because sometimes you literally go to get something and you have no other option. Right. So who is it that's in charge of creating and making those choices? Is it us as a consumer demanding it is. At the end of the day, we, if you look at the, the building that you're in today, you have a ton of control over what happens within this building if you so choose. And uh, we had an interview uh, a week ago, just published this week, uh, with Bill Gern from Hayworth. And at one point in time in his career, they were talking about how to minimize waste within their, their manufacturing campus. Mm-hmm. And his philosophy was it, it didn't take on, you know, it got shot down by the board. But if you come to lunch, if you come to work with a lunch bucket and you've got plastic bags and other stuff in there that we can't recycle, take it home with you. We don't want it here. Wow. And so there is that challenge, mm-hmm. but 
you, like you said, you have the opportunity to mold and shift, whether it's in student or a worker, Mm -hmm. into the person you want them to be and to build that social climate to them. So, you know, if you don't want them to use water bottles on campus, then don't sell water bottles on campus. Right. Say, yeah, oh, you want something to drink? Well, I can sell you this plastic water bottle that's reusable with our logo on it. It costs a buck. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can have that forever. Right. Or I and can we give have you... all the refillable water stations and yeah, around. And every yeah. drinking fountain has a refillable water station on it. Or I can give you this paper cup that you can fill for one sip and throw away when you're done. Your right. choice. There's the composting bin. Right. So we have the ability to change that. Mm-hmm. And until we as a society go down that road, we're going to have all of that excess plastic. Right. And so I think your point of let's reach out to the elementary school students today and educate them up. That's been the philosophy for the last 20 years. Yeah. It's all about infrastructure. It's mm-hmm. all about getting those school boards to part with a couple budget dollars where they can and, you know, not think of it as an afterthought, like you said. Right. I mean, how many, how many buildings do you walk into and you're like, where's the trash can? And they go, oh, we don't have trash cans. There's centralized stuff out in the hallway. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's that's interesting. So yeah. if I'm sitting at a desk here, I got to get up and go out there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you're going to go to the bathroom sooner or later anyway. So just do it when you go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. But if you go into an old school corporation and you try to bring that mentality to them, they're like, whoa, what do you mean? Right. I can't have a trash recycle can in, at my desk. And part of that goes back to, you know, the generation that's in power, you know, getting, you know, retiring because it's it's what we've done all along. And you have those, again, those millennials or Gen Zs that come in and we're like, I have this idea. And, well, that's the way we've always done it. Dream crusher, dream crusher, dream crusher, you know. it's <laughs> And so I think, um, you know, you have – the baby boomer generation where you're like, you know what? You've done some amazing things. Mm -hmm. It is time to pass the torch and trust that it will all be okay. And with, you know, the Gen X and millennials, like let them do their thing and fly and they'll make some mistakes. But, you know, no matter how much you fight it, we're eventually going to be in power, right? Like it just has to happen. And so don't wait too long where some of these people become apathetic in your your corporation. Because that's what I think I see a lot of is you see this person that they just refuse to leave their seat. And there's no protocol for getting rid of them because they've been there, you know, for 15, 20, 25 years. And so you see great dynamic uh, younger people. They're like, I'm done here. I'm trying somewhere else. So before we wrap up, tell us in your opinion, what are the three things that we can do to change the most behaviors right now? You spend a lot of time talking about behaviors mm-hmm. and you spend a lot of time looking at different mindsets of the, the dynamics of the five generations. What is kind of the universal socket set that we can use here to, to kind of move the needle? What, what, what can we do? Well, uh, I have a slide in my presentation that says being a jerk is not a generational trait, right? So we as human beings, no matter our age, no matter our color, no matter our gender, want respect. Like we want someone to listen to us. So it's value. It's valuing the differences. It's flipping that perspective instead of saying, oh my goodness, I can't stand this person as to, okay, let me look at maybe why I can't stand this person, right? Like, let me face the reaction in myself and try to find a way to value that difference. Um, you know, with baby boomers, mentor. 
get them to mentor and pass on their knowledge. And, you know, Gen X and on down, manage those expectations and show the latter and the higher purpose. Um, but again, as a society, like we just need to have that respect for one another. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, you know, with that nine shift, we are in the climate of chaos right now. So it is not one, it's not something that you think it's easy to do, but it's not right now. So try to stand and be that light, you know, the honoring that light in each other and be the light yourself. Um, and just knowing, too, that each generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. This has all happened before. The cycle will continue. Um, so just if, find the best in each individual and each situation. Fantastic. Crystal, thanks for taking some time for us today. Before we part ways, tell the folks that are listening how to get in touch with you. All right. As um, mentioned, my name is Crystal Young. I am at West Shore Community College in beautiful Ludington, Michigan. You can reach me at C as in Cat Young, Y-O-U-N-G, two, the number two, at westshore.edu. I'm happy to pass on any information I have as well as have a conversation um, and discuss maybe how you can implement some of these practices and mindfulness into your own organization. And if you're looking for a killer speaker, reach out to her. (laughs) Never come to your event. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up another one. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Remember, keep your earballs on us and your eyeballs on the road. Mm